You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It is time for FanRag Fantasy Baseball. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and very excited about our guest today, first-time guest on this show, Fred Zinke from MLB.com, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Blue Jays with Fred and catching up on the latest news as we do every show, and uh, lots to get to, so let's get right to it. Fred, thank you so much for joining us for the next hour. Yeah, no problem. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've got an agenda here because, Fred, uh, you and I, of course, we're we're in the same uh, Tout Wars mixed league auction uh, together. And uh, this way, I take up an hour of your time, and it's an hour you're not devoting to auction prep. So, <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I probably do a lot less auction prep than uh, than you believe. So, I mean, if you're following, if you're, I'd be honest, if you're if you're like if you've got your rankings and you know auctions are kind of all over the map, you don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, you, you got your rankings, you go into the auction, and and you hope for the best. So. You're right. You are draining one hour from my auction prep, but uh, yeah, I think I probably spend less time preparing for that auction than than you'd think. Well, yeah, because you're probably already planning your trades for the players you haven't even acquired yet. That's right. I just want people that other people want. (laughs) Fred is probably the most active trader that uh, I've encountered in any league. So uh, anything I could do to to slow that down. Uh, But no, Fred's got tons of great insight. Uh, Really looking forward to the show. So let's let's get to it because there is a lot of uh, news here to tackle. And from MLB.com reports that Sonny Gray is not going to throw for the next three weeks due to a moderate lat strain. That's going to rule him out as the A's opening day starter and would think it would rule him out for some period beyond that at the beginning of the season. So how much does this change your, uh, your appraisal of Sonny Gray for, for our upcoming auction? Yeah, I wasn't really bullish on Gray as a big bounce back. Can I mean, he's going to bounce back to some degree, but I, I don't know. I wasn't really the high man on Gray in the first place. And now, I mean, I don't know. I think he's kind of, like we're we're in a 15 team league i'm sure he'll go for a few dollars but if you're most people listening are probably in a 10 or a 12 team league if that's your league i think he's kind of like a one or two dollar guy or a late round guy i don't know i i'm thinking like a four era do you think i'm too pessimistic on him i i do uh i i mean i'm much i'm more pessimistic now than i was a few hours ago because of this news but I, I don't worry too much about the performance. I probably should worry a little bit more because, again, last year was a year where Gray underperformed, and I think it had to be injury-related. But I figure if he's healthy, there's no reason why he can't be uh, at least a low threes ERA pitcher. But um, so, I'm I mean, more worried about, so I'm more worried about innings than ERA, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, guess I'm just, I guess I'm just down on him now because, I don't know, coming off the – the the down year, the injury impacted year. I just would have really liked to have seen him had a right have a regular spring training, and then you know what I mean, and then come into the season healthy. And now he's not going to have a regular spring training. He's going to come in the se- come into that seat bounce back season off an injury. I mean, the good news is if you're a bit of a gray optimist, his price is going to drop now, so you can get him even later, and then he's a nice stash right in your DL spot, and then see how he is when he first comes back. See, that's what I'm thinking. So, 
<laughs> that's yeah. I mean, that's that's real, sometimes that's better. Sometimes that's better. I mean, we had all we have all these guys, the Dallas Keuchel's and these pitchers, the Garrett Coles, right? They disappointed last season. I mean, Gray now is going to be way, way, way cheaper than all of those pitchers who were. And Gray was like a number two mixed league starter in drafts last year. So, and now I mean, you might be able to get him as your number six or seven. So, yeah. it's a huge discount. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. So, not that it's good news to hear that he's hurt, but from a fantasy perspective, it, it it think it does in a way, like you say, make him a little bit more attractive and. You know, prior to this, it looked like at least to start the year that there would be room for one of Jesse Hahn or Andrew Triggs. And at least for some period of time, it would seem that they both could be in the rotation. Uh, I uh, did an auction yesterday, uh, a CBS Experts auction that we'll talk about a little later on. I got Triggs. And so this makes me feel a little bit more secure about him getting a chance early on to show what he can do in the rotation. Yeah, I think I think they're both interesting sleepers. I I, I think it's cool that you got Treggs in that auction. I think he's a mixed league sleeper, and I think Han maybe for now is just an AL only sleeper. But I wouldn't be Han's had some nice stretches in his career. Like I wouldn't be totally shocked if he got the number five starter spot by the time Gray came back. You know, Han was pitching better than someone else in the rotation, or maybe uh, someone else was injured and and he held that spot for a while. I do think there's some hope there with Han. I don't know if it's enough hope for me to take him in a mixed league though. Yeah, and no, I'm with you there, on uh, certainly on Jesse Hahn. Now, uh, in not-so-great spring news, uh, Zach Greinke, pretty underwhelming yesterday, and the fastball velocity only got up to 89.5 miles per hour in a, an exhibition against the uh, Mexican uh, team for the World Baseball Classic. So uh, any worries here or too early to freak out? Uh, I, I'm a little worried. Uh, yeah, I, well... I'm worried enough that I wouldn't want him to be my number two mixed league starter. I, now I'm starting to feel like I'm pessimistic on all these guys as we talk about Gray and now Granky. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think I would be comfortable with him as my number two starter. Would you? No, no. And I was a little bit worried about trusting him in that role, uh, even you know before this development. And we, I think I talked about this on the last episode, Fred, where. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Jim Finch and I. We were talking about approaches to to starting pitching. And I have 17 guys that I trust as either a number one or number two starter. And then beyond that, and, and Granky's just on the other side of the abyss there. So technically he'd be in my top yeah. 24, but I don't really trust him as a number two starter, even less so now, I would say. Do you still feel fine with him even as your number three? I would say as of right now, yeah. I feel like it's, it's premature, but uh, I'm definitely you know, definitely watching. I mean, it, it, if I've got a draft between now and his next start, if I could get him as a number three and get him cheaply, I, I would do it. But certainly I'd rather wait and see how his next start or two go. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like I would rather take my shot at someone. I think I would rather Garrett Cole. I don't know where he is in your rankings kind of com- as a similar type of guy coming, uh, you know, good in 2015, not so good in 2016. And I might rather just take someone just kind of blah, like a Jose Quintana or something like that over Granky. That's kind of where I'm at on him. I don't know where they are comparatively in your rankings, but that's how I'm seeing them. I have Granky just a couple of spots, or I think three spots. I'm not looking at it right now, but by memory, I think yeah, I'm yeah, three yeah. spots ahead of, uh, ahead of Cole. Uh, yeah. Well, better news, better velocity news. Uh, Michael Waka hit 95 on the radar gun. Now, the Granky reading is from StatCast. This is a, a scoreboard reading from spring training for Waka. 
but hit 95 uh, and pitched three shutout innings against the Nationals. So while Luke Weaver and Trevor Rosenthal have been dealing with injuries, uh, Waka has been making a great case to win that number five spot. So does this uh, help you uh, have more confidence in him on draft day? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's an interesting late-round guy in the sense of, I, I feel like he basically has that number five spot wrapped up. Like, it's kind of all on him. I don't think anyone could take it from him if he looks fine in spring training. And, I mean, prior to last season, he was pretty solid as a mixed-league asset. So, I, and, and there's another guy who doesn't need to take up one to probably even your first five or six starting pitcher spots. So, I think he's an interesting one late. Yeah, that's how I'm viewing him, too. Uh, and I actually got a question on Twitter about him just before we, we got online here. And, uh, yeah, I think that the hype may start to build. But I'm still holding firm at uh, not not reaching for him beyond the late rounds. Not because of past injury or, or anything else, but just because I just feel like I haven't seen the upside from him, even at his best, to justify a reach at this point. Yeah. So well, we're on board there. Okay. No. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. No bidding wars uh, on Michael Walker no. uh, in our in no our auction. no I, I agree <laughs> I don't think there's enough upside to have a bidding war on him but if but if he's sitting there for a dollar or two like then he's interesting okay yeah I agree I agree let me uh, just run through a little bit of injury news and I want to zero in on on a couple of situations uh, Anthony Desclafani he is the tentative starter for the Reds coming up on Monday against the A so he's been dealing with some elbow issues. But uh, that is a piece of, of good news for Desclafani. Scott Kazmir's hip MRI came back negative, but he will not pitch in a game for at least a week. He's working on his mechanics. Justin Turner, sticking with the, uh, with the Dodgers, he re- received a preventative lubricating injection. And I'll admit, I've never heard an injection referred to quite that way. But a preventative lubricating injection on his left knee, uh, he could return later in the week which struck me as sort of odd wording because that basically means within the next day or two. Uh, so look for <laughs> yeah, Justin very Turner. True. Yeah, so look for Justin Turner, hopefully, to return very soon. Uh, Matt Duffy, probably not going to be ready for opening day as his recovery from his heel injury is uh, taking a bit longer than initially expected. And Todd Frazier, he's back from his oblique strain, on Wednesday, he went 0 for 2 in his spring training debut against the Brewers. So, if you're looking for uh, some encouragement to take a take a chance at Todd Frazier, he's uh, he's back in action. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, get back to another injury situation here. Andrew Kashner. Now, earlier in spring training, he uh, was reported to be diagnosed with biceps tendonitis. He's had now had a setback with that injury, which almost certainly rules him out for the beginning of the season. And there was a tweet I saw probably about half an hour ago from Evan Grant from the Dallas Morning News. And he said that he projects that the number four and five starters for the Rangers are going to be uh, Chichi Gonzalez and Mike Haschild. And actually, I had to go to YouTube and, and find the correct pronunciation for him. Uh, he's the, the rule five pick. And so absent from that is not only Kashner, which is to be expected now, but also A.J. Griffin. So Griffin would certainly still be in that mix. Nick's, Nick Martinez. Uh, I don't think that any of these pitchers that I've mentioned for the Rangers are standard mixed league options, but in a league like ours, Fred, a 15 team mixed or even a little bit deeper, any interest in any of the above Gonzalez, Haaschild, Martinez, um, AJ Griffin, Tyler Wagner's another one who may be in that mix as well. Yeah. I was, I'm surprised that Griffin's not listed as, you know, someone who 
has a rotation spot, basically, unless he pitches his way out of it. I think at least in 15 team leagues, he has at least a little bit of value, like maybe a streamer or a bench pitcher, something like that. I kind of liked Griffin going into last year. He didn't really work deep into games as much as I would have liked, but I sometimes like those really fly ball heavy pitchers because they usually keep their whip down, uh, you know, when they're going at least okay. So, yeah, I'm surprised by that uh, update. I really, I felt like Griffin would be in their rotation. I'm, I'm interested to see them what they do with him because I don't think he's a bull. I don't think he's a bullpen guy. And I, like, without looking up whether he has options or anything, I don't know. I felt like he'd be on their roster. I did too. I was surprised and actually read that tweet two or three times over. And then somebody else actually followed up and said, "What about Griffin?" And then uh, Evan Grant followed up and said, yeah, he's not having a great spring and uh, he would right now seem to be the odd man out, but it is relatively early still. I agree with you out of that group in a 15 team mixed league. Griffin is probably the only one that I'd take a flyer on. And I like him for exactly the same reasons that you do, Fred. I like that type of pitcher uh, who gets a lot of fly ball outs can get burned by the home run. So the ERA is a potential problem, but he can compensate elsewhere. But I also think Hostchild is kind of intriguing, too, um, because in the minor leagues, uh, you know, sort of old for his level, but uh, a decent swing and miss guy who gets a lot of ground balls. So there's, I have a little bit of intrigue there with, with Hostchild. And again, right now, it looks like he would actually start the season in the rotation. And real quick, one more picture to look at uh, before we go to break. Carson Fulmer, who did not fare very well last year in his major league debut out of the White Sox bullpen, Having a really nice spring, uh, gave up one run against the Brewers, a, a Lewis Brinson solo home run, and nobody can contain Lewis Brinson, so can't fault him for that. But yeah. uh, nine strikeouts and six and two-thirds, only two walks, throwing a lot of strikes uh, this spring. Carson Fulmer, is he a draft and stash potential guy for you? Yeah, I'd, I'd say AL only, definitely. Uh, mixed league, probably not, but but someone who I'm like maybe right on, on a watch list kind of. If someone else wants to draft and stash them, then they can probably have them. I guess it would depend on bench size, but I, I think there's enough of an uphill battle there picking, pitching for the White Sox with their roster that this for this year that I probably wouldn't draft them, but I'm keeping an eye on them for sure. And I like him, for example, I'd be more interested in him than all of those Rangers pitchers that we just discussed. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Yeah, a lot more upside there. So uh, yeah. well, it's time for us to head to break, but when we come back, we are going to break down the Blue Jays, and hopefully they won't break down themselves, but uh, we'll check in on them when we come back. Welcome back to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I'm joined today by MLB.com's Fred Zinke, who uh, is, uh, has been dominating tout wars for several years and uh glad to have him on the show and uh even glad to have him in the league even though uh fred you you pretty soundly uh beat me every single year but that's okay well i didn't i didn't win the league last year we got to give zach steinhorn his credit he uh he knows me and and everyone else out and uh you know he gets to be the defending champ when we meet up in new york in a couple weeks that's right. Yeah, we definitely have to give uh, Zach his uh, his due. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that is coming up in, in two weeks. And so I, I hope to have several of the uh, competitors on the show. I'll be broadcasting live from the New York studios uh, during that weekend. And uh, Fred, I hope you could drop by. Uh, I know it's a busy weekend, but, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we could we could talk again and uh, break break down our uh, our auctions 
on the air. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I would definitely like to do that. Well, look, that's cool. It's just two weeks away, everybody. So until uh, then, we got, of course, a lot of work to do, a lot of prep to do. So let's uh, start with the team, Fred, that I know you're very familiar with, the Blue Jays. And um, I got a tweet about uh, the Blue Jays' bullpen situation. So let's start there. This is from Top Jobber Jones at YRC21. It's actually a two-parter. He asks about Joe Biagini. Uh, is he more likely to be a starter or next in line for saves? Uh, how do you see this playing out? So I'm going to say neither, actually. <laughs> um, I, well, I, okay, if I was going to say one, I'd say maybe the starter, although they've backed off on that. They have Matt Latos now in camp, and he didn't pitch great earlier this week. Um, might have been yesterday, actually, but that seems to be enough maybe. They want Biagini in the bullpen, but – you know, Osuna's clearly the closer. Grilly's the setup man as as long as he can pitch like he did last season. And then I think Biagini's probably third on the team, assuming he can kind of repeat what he did last year because he did kind of come out of nowhere. So I think Biagini's maybe a fine late-round AL-only guy, but I would be surprised if he got more than, like, one save or something this season. Okay. And, well, I said it was a two-parter. Do you think that if uh, he is – not going to close, which it sounds like you, you think pretty much is the case. Would it be him or Jason Grilly in the eighth inning? Yeah, I think it, I think it's Grilly. I mean, well, okay, it's going to be Grilly in April. And Grilly was really good for the Blue Jays last season, but he's an older pitcher, and sometimes things can go fast for older pitchers. So if Grilly struggles out of the out of the start of the season, then I could see them going to be a genie or going to some sort of group of you know be a genie and J.P. Howell and Joe Smith something like that. I think the Blue Jays really value Biagini, but more as a bridge guy than as a closer candidate. Like if I was looking for like sleeper save sources in the AL, I don't think he would be on my list. Okay. Well, uh, the person who sent the tweet, he's in a holds league. So he's looking to see if uh, he could get 20 plus holds. I think that's, yeah, that's that's quite possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now related to that, uh, this week on FanRag, uh, we have the last set of installments in our preseason draft guide, and uh, the final position that we are covering are relief pitchers. And so uh, one of the recent entries was uh, each of us, that is uh, Greg Jewett, Jim Finch, and myself, we each picked a potential bust or buyer beware uh, candidate at the relief position. And Roberto Ozuna was my pick because, uh, you know, we like the strikeouts. We like the good control, but he gives up a lot of hard contact. He's he's a pretty extreme fly ball pitcher, and the hard contact rate last year was was very high. So I think pitching in the AL East, and particularly with Roger Center's a home park, I actually think Ozuna among the the closers that we think of as more safe. I think he he might not be as safe uh, as as we perceive. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Actually, I think. I think overall, like my expectation is that he's going to have a fine season. And like, I have him in my top 10 closers, but I have him at kind of near the bottom of my top 10 closers. Typically in my draft so far, when he goes off the board, I still have two or three closers below him, you know, available off my list. So he, so far he's never been on my radar, you know, at the point he's been drafted. So I do think maybe people are overrating him that AL East is, it's a tough place to pitch and, you know, in some of those ballparks, his margin for error, as you said, he gives up a lot of hard contact and fly balls. His margin for error is pretty small. So, I mean, I think overall he'll be fine. I'm not suggesting that he's going to lose his job, but 
he's not as secure maybe as some people believe. Okay. Uh, well, how about Jose Bautista? He's coming back to Rogers Center. Do you think he'll have a better year this year, or is he just on the slippery slope of decline now? Uh, I think a better year. I mean, but I, uh, but I don't think. I know he's crushing it in spring training, and you know, all the news in Toronto is you know Batista's back, like you know he's healthy and everything else, and he's going to have a great year, and that's certainly totally possible. But as you and I know from having done this for a while, like when you're evaluating these older players. It's not really whether they can crush the ball when they come into spring training that we're looking for. It's whether they can, you know, still have that that jump in their bat and you know their full swing in June and July. That's what's really going to decide it for Batista. So they really like we won't really know until you know we're into the second half of the season. I'm pretty optimistic on him. I do think he's getting drafted a little late in leagues right now. I'm seeing him go like round nine or ten. I would. I, it's funny. I, I'm optimistic on him but i haven't ended up with him on i I think i wanted those three teams i've drafted so far do you think like are you optimistic on him i'm very optimistic and this goes back to really at the very end of last season when i looked back and said wow that was a really disappointing season what happened there and his raw power didn't decrease at least not by a significant margin and he also didn't really turn out to be worse in terms of his contact skills he's just he was i think he was overly patient in a way so i think he missed opportunities to get extra base hits particularly doubles and uh you know because he wasn't swinging as often so to me that seems like one of the more fixable potential problems that an aging player could have yeah he was really good i agree with you he went deep into counts a lot and and he was striking out a lot. And then those were becoming frustrating at bats. And then there were times last year where they were batting him lead off. And I don't know if that uh, impacted him at all. Like when he was lead off, if he was really focused on getting deep into counts because he was just trying to start things off and, and get on base. I, I don't know. But, you know, and then I did feel like late in the season that he just wasn't himself. Like I just as someone who watches every Blue Jays game, I just feel, felt like there were, some, there were some times where I saw the classic. He has a definitive home run swing. That's like the right up third base line that's been his since he started mashing with the Blue Jays, and he would have that swing and just not quite have the power that he the, and get the ball out of the yard. So I don't know. He see, he seems good to go this spring. It's just whether he'll be able to hold up or not, and how the Blue Jays lineup I think maybe will be overall because he's played on some in some juggernaut lineups in recent seasons, and I, I'm not totally convinced that they are that lineup this year. Well, I mean, the big change, of course, is losing Encarnacion, replacing him with Kendris Morales. How much of a downgrade is that? And I guess to really keep it is fantasy relevant, like you say, in terms of providing run production opportunities for people like Bautista. But how much do you think Morales is really a downgrade from Encarnacion, especially given that he's going to be hitting in that same great hitters park? Yeah, I think Morales is. He, I think he's a significant downgrade from what Encarnacion was last year. Cause last year Encarnacion was a little bit ridiculous. Like, you know, like his power of 40 Homer power and 120 RBIs and like, but that wasn't typical Encarnacion, typically what the Blue Jays were getting from him over the five seasons. Like last year, his power numbers, you know, really jumped. I think Morales will be fine. My, my general concern with the Blue Jays is just that it's a lineup that, really full of players who are statistically past their prime as far as Batista, Russell Martin, Josh Donaldson now is, is starting to come kind of maybe come out of his prime years, or at least at the tail end of them to statistically past his prime, you know, Upton Carrera. There's just a lot of 30 something year old hitters in that lineup. So 
I mean, they could be great, but there, there's maybe more regression possibility than upside possibility in that group. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's a concern that a lot of people have, you know, for these hitters, especially in terms of how much they're going to be able to help each other. I also wonder how much that could potentially impact the rotation. And so I have a couple of questions for you in regard to the, the Blue Jays rotation. And, and one is how do you uh, look at run support as a factor in, in how you value uh, each other's starters? And given that, uh, how many of them would you target in a 12-team mixed league? Yeah, I, I've ended up with some Blue Jays pitchers on my er, teams in my early drafts. I'm not, I don't get too crazy into run support just because wins are so fickle. Um, like I try to think kind of just big picture for run support. I, I, everything negative I just said about the Blue Jays lineup, like I still think it'll be better than average. So I, I'm not, I'm not, they're not in my like San Diego Padres kind of Cincinnati Reds kind of groups of where I'm worried about run support. Like I think it'll be fine. I don't, I don't think there's a 20 game winner in that bunch again this season, like half was last year, but. Uh, you know, I'm expecting some regressions from Hap, some regressions from Sanchez, maybe a slight improvement from Stroman. Overall, though, I think that they'll have, there'll be probably four, maybe even five, probably four Blue Jays pitchers, you know, on mixed league rosters throughout the season. It's a pretty deep rotation. I'm just not sure if any of those pitchers are number ones or number twos. Yeah, it's exactly. They're all kind of in the middle ground. Uh, you know, I think Sanchez and Stroman, Sanchez in particular really got a boost in value last year. Stroman people seem, you know, perennially very, uh, very bullish on him. Um, another thing, too, looking at Hap last year, because it was a surprising season for him that he didn't strike out a lot of hitters like he did the, the previous season for the Pirates. But like you said, 20 game winner, very successful. I think he got a lot of help from the defense. So is that a reason perhaps to upgrade uh, Hap and Sanchez, Stroman, uh, Estrada as well? Uh, the, the quality of the defense. Yeah, I do think that defensive group like will still be intact this season. I mean, yeah, they, they did get a lot of help from the defense. I think their defensive efficiency ratio, um, I think the Blue Jays were second to the Cubs. Now, they were second to the Cubs by a huge gap, but they were still second in baseball. And, uh, you know, all those pieces are still there. Pilar's, I, the, the real key ones, like Pilar's there, Tulowitzki's there, as long as he can stay healthy, Donaldson's there. Smoke is, the Blue Jays fans are not, happy about smoke being their first baseman but he's a good defensive first baseman not that that that, that doesn't really appease them because of his, <laughs> his plate skills but but as yeah. far as pitching goes he's a good defensive first baseman you know travis is good at second and darwin barney's really good when he replaces them so and batista if he's healthier he was maybe the kind of liability out of the group defensively last year so if he is a little healthier that would maybe make the defense at least just as good it's hard to say they'll be better than second in the majors yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, I think good enough that they, again, they can give a boost to guys like Hap who might uh, allow the ball to be put in play. Yeah, d- so, definitely. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so uh, Fred, we had talked about our uh, Tout Wars auction coming up in two weeks, but the Tout Wars season has already begun. There's been a mixed league draft, and we're going to go to break, but when we come back, we're going to take a look at some of the more interesting picks from that draft, so stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Fred Zinke from MLB.com. And Fred and I, as I've already mentioned several times in the show, uh, we're going to be in the Tout Wars Mixed Auction uh, coming up two weekends from this weekend. 
But uh, we've already now seen the first of the Tout Wars events, the Mixed League Draft, a 15-team circuit uh, that plays OBP instead of uh, batting average, uh, as is also uh, our league, Fred. And, uh, you know, pretty interesting. It's always uh, good to be able to see how some other experts are are drafting before you get into some of your uh, bigger uh, expert leagues. So was there anything here that that really captured your... uh, your attention looking at the results. No. Oh, yeah. Uh, like so many, so many things. It does, it, <laughs> it was, it, seriously. Like, it, like, okay. Cause the fact that it's an OBP league does definitely change. But when I first saw Bryce Harper go second overall to Rudy Gamble, like at first I was like, I actually checked the bottom of my screen to see if I had accidentally clicked on the 2060. If there was like a 2016 <laughs> draft link. And I was like, Bryce Harper second overall, like what gives? But then I thought about it. And I was like, okay, well, it's aggressive. But I was like, OBP, right? He walks a lot. And like, it does make some sense. I'm, I wouldn't have taken him second overall. It doesn't, it makes way more sense. If he's going 10th overall in a, in a regular batting average league, then you can make a case for him in the top five. Like, did you feel like that was really aggressive on Harper? I, I did. It was surprising to me. And yet, you know, as, as you talk through it, and as I'm looking at the grid here, it really does make a, a certain amount of sense. And I wrote something recently uh, for Fan Graphs uh, about my preference for Jose Altuve in the number two slot. I think I'd still go there even in an OBP league. But when you're looking at outfield and how quickly the, the quality and the certainty of the quality drops off at that position, you know, you're looking at Rudy. It's a 15-team league. He's not going to pick again for 26 more picks. Um you know, who's he going to get at outfield? Obviously, you know, Mookie Betts is going to be gone. Betts got went number three. Uh, he could have taken Betts, but, you know, for OBP, yeah, I think Harper, you could argue, would be the better player. And, uh, you know, if he had waited around, he would have missed out on Charlie Blackman. He would have missed out on A.G. Pollock. He would have missed out on Starling Marte. Uh, he could have, and in fact, he did get Giancarlo Stanton. But, um, you know, so he clearly was trying to make the most of a thin crop of, of elite outfielders. And I, I get it. I think it, it does make some sense. Yeah, the hard part is if you just step back and look at it, like it's hard to spend the number two overall pick on someone who didn't play well last year. Like that's just when I go back and think about the whole thing. I'm like, Bryce Harper wasn't very good last year at all. Like I get he was amazing in, in 2015, and I get that he could be amazing again this year. And yeah, as you said, it makes some sense, but it's just hard to pass up on, like you said, Altuve, like it's hard to pass up on. Goldschmidt, a, a guy who could hit 30 homers and steal 30 bases and walks a lot, or Mookie Betts, who was so good last year, or Chris Bryant. Like, it's hard to pass up on those guys for someone who didn't play well last year, but I can see the rationale behind it. It's just in a, there were a lot of picks that I thought were pretty aggressive ones. Yeah, and I'll add Trey Turner to that. Um, and you know, he's somebody, too, who, who could be outfield eligible, but I would assume he'll be used at second or short. Uh, he went to Tim McLeod with the... Uh, Seventh overall pick. So, in fact, let's run this down. It was Trout, then Harper, Betts number three, Goldschmidt at four, Altuve fifth, Chris Bryant sixth, and then Trey Turner seventh, followed by uh, somebody we just talked about, Josh Donaldson uh, at eight. So, um, in fact, let's round out the top yeah. ten. Nolan Aaron out of nine, Kershaw ten. So, um, yeah, some things there that went more or less as you would think, but I thought the Turner pick that early was a bit surprising. I'm not one of the higher people in the industry on him. Uh, and, and yeah, and the Harper one certainly was a surprise. Yeah. I mean, with Turner, I mean, he's somewhat seventh overall would be aggressive for him in a regular Roto league and he doesn't walk a lot. 
So seventh for him is really aggressive in a league with on base percentage. Like you're going to need him to have for him to have a high on base percentage. He's either going to need to start walking a lot more, or he's going to need to bat 325 or 330. So, I mean, it's possible, but it's a lot to put on him. So it was in a, for sure an aggressive pick. Now, if he hits 20 home runs and steals 55 bases, then you don't really care if his OBP is low. <laughs> but yeah, it's but it's definitely an aggressive an aggressive one. And I thought Kershaw following falling all the way to number 10 was surprising to me because his ADP is usually more around six or seven. And I've seen him go higher than that in a lot of drafts. Yeah, that is to me, it's mildly surprising. But again, when you, you insert Harper and Turner who normally wouldn't be going that high, that's, you know, that's kind of where, where he winds up typically. Uh, I certainly can't fault uh, somebody for taking Josh Donaldson or or Nolan Arenado ahead of him. Uh, I, I would do that. So, yeah, I, I would I I would take Kershaw, but I can't. I'm with you. Like I can't. There's nothing wrong with Josh Donaldson in the middle of round one in an OBP league. There's nothing wrong with Arenado in the second half of round one, like in any league, no matter what yeah. how they set it up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the outfielders and uh, how Rudy Gamble kind of set the stage for how that played out. But I think first base is also interesting, too, because that's another position where you've got a small number of players who are very reliable, very elite. And then you've just got the, you know, the, the drop, uh, the drop off, uh, the great abyss. Uh, and those first basemen went very, very quickly. Uh, as you would expect, the back end of that early run was Edwin Encarnacion and Freddie Freeman with the first two picks in the second round. So that's 17 picks in. The big six are off the board. Uh, and then we don't see another first baseman again until the latter or right. I'm sorry, right the middle of uh, the third round with Will Myers. Uh, also going to Tim McLeod. So do you think that, that uh, that's the right place to uh, dive back into the first base pool? And is Myers the guy that you do that with? Yeah, I'm not a big Myers guy for this year. There's that Padres lineup troubles me a little bit. So I, I felt like I think third rounds may be a little aggressive for him. I think that the, the first handful of guys all make sense. I mean, those those great first basemen are typically big walkers on top of being big power hitters. So them moving up from where they would be though like basically freeman and edwin kind of moved from the late round two or early round three to, to, to early round two and you know Votto and rizzo or miggy kind of moved from like the turn right into round one now and that all makes sense to me i think if i was drafting and i missed all them like if i had an earlier pick and just didn't get one of those first basemen i think i would have waited a lot longer and just taken a, a hosmer in round nine or holes in round 11 or something like that I, I don't know i i don't think i would have taken someone like myers in round three and i don't even know if i would have gone to chris davis or jose abreu in round four yeah and they both did go in round four now the you know, very interesting carlos santana one spot right behind abreu uh in the second to last pick of round four uh, what do you think of that i think well that's a like a clear OBP league thing, right? Like he gets that big bump because of his ridiculous walk rate. But I think if you're taking him in round four, what you're really saying is that most of his power surge last year uh, will remain intact. And I was talking about him on the 411 podcast last week, and we were talking about how, you know, prior to this season, prior to last season, sorry, I think he had had 127 homer season. But other than that, he was kind of more like a 1920 homer guy. So if you feel like he can get 20, like, do you feel like he's going to get? 28, 29, 30 home runs this year, or are you, or do you think maybe low 20s? Because I think that maybe decides if he's round four or round six. I'm going to split the difference and say that I, I'd feel comfortable expecting 25 or 26. 
yeah. Santana. Yeah. So not not a not a big drop off at all. I I think he could come pretty close to what he did last year. And in an OBP league, my initial reaction to just seeing him where he is on the grid is like, wow, that's early. But when you think yeah. of what Santana could do in an OBP league, I I don't think it's bad. Uh, I'm not sure no. if I'm in that spot and I want a first baseman. I'm not sure who I'm thinking, you know, who who I'm going to wait for on the fallback. Yeah, well, I mean, you can direct. He went one pick after Abreu, so you can pretty much directly compare them. And Abreu hasn't been a monster power hitter the last couple of years. So if you're thinking 25, 6, 26 homers for Santana, that's kind of roughly probably what you're thinking for Abreu. And then uh, their on base percentages are, you know, Santana should be able to meet him there or beat him. And then, you know, RBIs and runs, like the Indians lineup probably be a fair amount better than the White Sox. So he might not be far off Abreu. I know Abreu's been a really nice RBI guy so far, but, you know, I, I guess they're not that far apart when, and when you look at them being drafted side by side. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, that, that, that there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, yeah. You know, particularly in this, in this format. Uh, well, we've, we've been focusing on the first four rounds or so so far, but I thought there were some great late values. What were some of your favorites? Well, let's scroll down here and see, uh, you know, some of the ones that, some of the ones that I really like. I thought the catcher value late, like later on, was pretty good for a two catcher league. Uh, even in the middle rounds, I thought that was pretty good. Austin Hedges, even in round nineteen, like I think that's a really nice. I don't know what your stance is really on Hedges for this year, but. I think that was was that what I was pretty good, and I think some of the starting. I think I'm finding this in a lot of drafts. Like, there's a lot of really interesting starting pitchers in this draft uh, later. Jarrell Cotton in round 19, Taiwan Walker in round 19, like the uh, Iwakuma in round 21. Like, I find the late. There's still uh, for how the offense there was last season in baseball. There's still some pitchers I find really interesting in the second half of these drafts. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, most of the the late values that I really liked were pitchers. Um, I've been talking up Aaron Noah a lot on this show, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, he went round nine, or round fifteen rather here, which I just thought was incredible value. And yeah, there's he's a real hit or miss type of pitcher this year. You don't know if you're going to see something closer to what you saw in the middle portion of the year or early on when he was completely dominant. But round fifteen. You know, not much risk there. And then a round later, Matt Shoemaker, who had a real breakout last year and appears to be fine after getting uh, taking taking a line drive to the head, which was was you know very scary. But he seems to be uh, recovered and with uh, you know no problems going forward. And round sixteen for Shoemaker, I thought was one of the the better values. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting starting pitcher pool overall this year, where once you get past the first. I don't know how it depends. Everyone has their number, but half a dozen guys like there, there are warts on the, a lot of those lower tier aces this year. Uh, but, and then, but then there's still some really interesting guys late. So I, I think I've always said that every fantasy draft really starts with how do you want to do your pitching staff? Like those picks to me, everything else falls around. How, how do you want to build your pitching staff? And I think this year more than ever, like you want to get cute and get a lot of these late round guys and kind of go with your gut on the ones you like. We all have the ones that we individually like. Um, or do you or do you feel like you need to get more of the high-end guys? I think that's a huge, a real variable this year because scoring went up so much last year, and that obviously plays out in the pitcher pool. Yeah, well, and this is something that we talked about uh, on the show recently, too. What's our approach? I actually alluded to that a little bit. Uh, try to get two of, the, of my top 17, and then after that, upside, upside, upside. <laughs> because yeah. if it doesn't work out, 
like you said, there's a lot of pitchers in a, in a shallower league than this one who would be on waivers that you could get and could be just as good or better. So Yeah, uh, absolutely. And in the shallow yeah. league, for sure, upside, upside, upside. If you're in a 10-team league or even a 12, like, yeah, upside, upside, because you'll be able to find pitchers on waivers that have two great starts at the beginning of the year, and you can gobble them up, and some of them will keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, we've got to head to break. But when we come back, we'll keep talking strategy here. uh, But we're going to focus in on auctions. So uh, when we come back, break that down. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. And I'm Al Melchior, your host. And here with me to bring the show home for this last segment is Fred Zinke from MLB.com. And Fred and I, we're going to talk a little bit about auctions uh, for the last part of the show here. We've got our Tout Wars auction coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, I just had one yesterday, so I've got some lessons learned fresh in my mind from that one. Uh, Fred, so I know you don't want to give away you know, too much. Uh, I'm, I'm listening very carefully to what you have to say here. Maybe there are other Tout Warriors uh, you know, listening. But uh, you know, as a public service, uh, I'd be grateful if you shared some of your auctioning do's and don'ts with us and and your general (laughs) approach as much as you're willing to divulge. Yeah, I can actually divulge uh, kind of all of it in the sense of my strategy is pretty simple. I, I go into an auction with usually no computer, uh, one piece of paper on that piece of paper. I have a value that I'm willing to pay for every player that I think will go in the auction and I'll bid every player on that list up to like, unless I'm running out of money or I have that position filled, I'll build it, bid anyone on that list up to that dollar and basically never go. I almost never do I ever go past it. So it's, it's, I don't know. Sometimes it's stressful because if you feel like you're missing out on something, you know, and there's a like, you know, I mean, if you continually getting outbid on all the good starting pitchers and you're trying to decide if you're willing to go over your projections, but I'm usually pretty stubborn to them and I find it keeps me, I'm in on basically every player. I don't do a lot of thinking really during the auction. I just kind of bid them up to a player gets named. I look at my number, I'm in and, t- and no one else in the room knows what my number is. So they can't really bid me up because I'll drop out when I hit that number. So now, pretty, for me, it's pretty simple that way. Yeah, well, and that I mean, then that sounds perfect. I mean, you really should be doing the least amount of thinking possible in an auction because there's so much going on, so much to yeah. take in. Uh, so I'm sure that's helped you with a lot of your yeah. Your success. I mean, I, I've never, I uh, yeah, I've never been a like I have to get like a uh, you know I, I gotta come out of this auction auction with Trey Turner or or I or I gotta get Clayton Kershaw or else I, I'll I'll feel like I had a bad auction. Like I'm not really focused on any one guy. There'll be guys who I feel like. I'm likely to get maybe because I've already drafted and ended up with them. And I mean, it's an auction is similar to a draft in a sense that we're all putting in our own value valuations on players. So, you know, there's guys I think that I might get, but as long as I spend all my money and we have trades, as you mentioned, I like trading, but we have trades. So if your team comes out unbalanced, it's not really the end of the world. As long as you like the players you got and you spent all your money. Now, what about the nomination process? Is there any thought involved there or is it just, you know, uh, throw a dart yeah there's not much i mean when when you nominate one out of every 15 guys there's not too much you can do i i do follow the the kind of what i know is a popular theory of throwing out some expensive players early on either but i'll mix it up a little bit between guys that i'm interested in and guys that i'm not interested in uh, to draw money out of others sometimes i like early on i'm interested all right maybe i'm impatient i just can't wait but sometimes early on i'm interested to throw out either really 
really interesting players like a David Price this year would be an interesting guy to throw it early on and just kind of see where it goes or uh, a bar setter, right? So throwing out the Kershaw's, the Kenley Jansen's, the, the guys who won't be the top dollar player, but they will be the top dollar at a certain position. I uh, Maybe that's just impatience, but I like to see where those guys are going early on. I've never been cute with like, I know some guys will throw out the $1 guys early and just see if they can just grab some of their favorite sleepers, but mm-hmm. I've never gotten into that. I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever tried it. I, I don't know. I've always been nervous that ever I'll throw out the guy and everyone will be like, Oh, well he must want him. So I'm going to put in the, <laughs> the $2 on him and then I'll ruin my $1 sleeper. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever done that. And if I have, it's probably once or twice and, and literally do not remember doing it. And, and yeah, I know that I have that feeling early on where, uh, you know, well, what if he's, what if other people like him more than I think, and he won't be the value that I, I want, I want him to be. So I generally, the more I like somebody, the probably the less likely I am to throw them out, uh, because I, I want other people to spend their money so that this perceived value will in fact be uh, a value, uh, once the bidding starts and something that happened in my, my auction yesterday, that was really just more random and, and kind of an accident I waited a long time to get a player. And in fact, we were around player 60 or so, maybe even beyond player 60, before I got my first hitter. This is a 12-team league. Uh, I got Kenley Jansen, about 20th player in. I picked up a couple starting pitchers. And for the first 60-some-odd players, that was it. And what I was able to do, now just because, Fred, I have a similar approach as you. I had my values in front of me. And with the exception of Mike Trout, who went for 51, and that was within my budget, but I just couldn't pull the trigger on him. <laughs> um, yeah. Nobody was was really within, nobody that I wanted was was within my budget. And so I just sat there. And what I was able to notice was that pitchers were going much more cheaply than I had them valued. So from that point forward, about, you know, pick 60 or so when I really started getting active, I was adding 25% to my hitter values and taking away about 25% from my pitcher values and calibrating them. And I, th- I think that worked out pretty well. And if I had Which been really tough, act- tough to do on the fly, that's hard. Yeah, on the it was. Fly. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately yeah, the team was, right. the, 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 the teams of the league, the owners of the league were being, you know, pretty consistent. Cause again, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not unusual, you know, some, you get one or two uh, owners, to set the bar, you know, uh, Clayton Kershaw's out there and um, Scherzer and, and Syndergaard, and, and the prices kind of fall in line from there. So I could see very quickly, like, oh, I thought these guys were going to be, you know, $40 pitchers, but they're actually $30 pitchers, you know, or thereabouts. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So I was, you know, and, and, if, and as we got, you know, deeper into the first, second tier, that calibration was very consistent. Now, if the values had been all over the place, that would have been a lot more difficult. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think going in, yeah, I think going into an auction where you don't have a lot of familiarity with the other people or you haven't had a lot of track record with them, I think that can be scary. I think for auctions like ours in Tet Wars, I mean, you can look up online the last five, six years of auctions. I mean, the names have changed somewhat for sure, but I mean, you can start to, if you have some history and for people that are listening and have their own league and they have like the past auctions from their own home league or something like you can usually find a lot of consistency from year to year. If you start sorting out the data, as far as, you know, how many $40 hitters there are, are there ever $50 hitters, how many $30 hitters there are. And same thing with the pitchers. Like you can start to find, 
you know, patterns as far as how many players you expect to go for certain amounts of money. And then it's usually pretty consistent from year to year. It is hard when it just totally the script gets flipped on you. Uh, but overall, and then if you take those and you just kind of compare them to the ADP from this year, you can mostly figure out which players are going to be at. Like you can roughly figure out. The old, old, um, on-base percentage in our league does kind of throw you for a loop because it's hard to use ADP data from leagues that use batting average. But but again, like you can you can get some idea of what players are going to go for before you go in the room. And that certainly makes, I don't know, it makes me a lot more relaxed. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And this particular league that I had the auction yesterday, it's the second year of the league. There was some turnover. Also, it's a points league, uh, a head-to-head points right. league. So, you know, when I talked about $40 pitchers, that's, you know, I'm not really looking at spending that kind of money on a, uh, a starting pitcher uh, in, you know, with the, with the exception of Kershaw in a, uh, in a Roto league uh, with, you know, right. being more yep. roster spots and, and, you know, and the rewards being distributed differently. So, uh, yeah, that was a bit of an unknown. And like I said, fortunately, just because of the way the bidding went that I was able to kind of sit back, I could actually get a sense of what was going on, even though I don't have a lot of history with the league. So I don't know if there's a yeah. lesson there or not. Um, I guess it's just something, particularly if you are in a league you're not familiar with, just something to be aware of. Yeah, I would say when you go into your auctions, Al, do you, like, do you, how much of a plan do you have as far as like, this is how much I'm willing to spend on pitching, this is how much I'll spend on hitting, or this is how much I'll spend on relievers, or are you pretty free-flowing where you, know, you could get three not great relievers or two really good ones or two aces or no aces? Like, are you, compared to a draft, do you find you have, are you more free-flowing in an auction or less so? Yeah, yeah much, much free-flowing. And I'm glad I have a quick, quick answer for you, Fred, because we're actually out of time. Yeah, so, yeah, I kind of just go, go by the seat of my pants. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Jessica Kleinschmidt. So, see you then, everybody. <laughs>